Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. All right, welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have Joel Barrett with us. And Joel and I have just recently kind of met on Zoom just a few months ago. Through and a mutual I, friend, I, yes. Yeah, through a mutual friend. Actually, several mutual friends. Yeah. But Pam Hausner mm-hmm. was the one that really wanted me to meet you and introduce you. And I, Pam was one of my early interviews, and I interviewed her on mindful meditation yes. stuff. And I'm, I'm in one of her... She's my meditation teacher. That's great. So I love Pam. She's awesome. I do too. So, um, yeah. So Joel grew up in a very conservative Baptist church. Like sure did. Yeah. Like a Baptist church that would consider Southern Baptist liberal. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Which I understand that, but most people who aren't from our world don't understand that there's actually. Baptists that think Southern yeah. Baptists are too liberal. Right? Uh, people in this area, especially when they're this reference, I always say, just think the softer side of the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And hmm. one of my prouder moments is they came and, and protested my church. There you go. You know, so that's, I was like, that's, huh, a, well, that's hey, a gold star that's a moment. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to take a picture, frame this one, man. You know? <laughs> anyway. I'm just not on their radar. Otherwise, oh, I'm sure they'd God. be out front right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then uh, you were you were a Baptist pastor. Yes. Uh, you are you have just recently last year put out your book mm-hmm. Godly but Gay, and I would highly recommend this. We'll we'll um, we'll refer everybody to your websites and everything at the end. But um, excellent book, and I love the vulnerability, the honesty, and and even the humility and the love that that you expressed throughout this journey. Thank you. Even at the points of pain, uh, deep pain, deep shame, you still managed to, I think, handle very gracefully, you know? And I, you know, when I came out, I kind of had this moment of going, I'd, I'd lived so much of my life, you know, in the closet, but like also just closed off. And so when I came out, I was like, I, I'm willing to be a spokesperson. Like a lot of people can't or won't. And I was like, I'm comfortable talking. And so I just decided I was going to share it all. (laughs) And because I wish somebody had, there probably were some people, but I wasn't aware of them, but I wish somebody had so that I could have read something like that. So I'm like, you know what, I am willing to just bear it all and hopefully help others find hope, inspiration, as well as education for people that are mm-hmm. not exposed to a world like this, mm-hmm. um, both from a religious standpoint as well as a closeted gay man to gay culture. So I wanted to like help other people also get a window into a world that was unfamiliar to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And uh, I I feel like, you know, it, it's like when people listen to me preach, they always felt like they knew me really well mm-hmm. and but didn't actually, you know, right. and then, you know, I've read your book now and I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I can connect with you at so many points. Um, and we'll, I'll bring out some of those points along the way. I usually tell people you're going to learn more about me than you ever wanted to know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but um, what's what's interesting to me, I've. I've interviewed now. Uh, oh, I interviewed uh, Calvin Arsenia, Paul mm-hmm. Smith. Do you know Paul here in I town? Don't believe so. Paul pastored Broadway Baptist Church oh, here, okay. and um, he he didn't he didn't really come to grips with his uh, gayness until he was like sixty. Okay, yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. His granddaughter went to my church, but um, and we've been colleagues in the city for years, and so he finally you know, told his wife he was gay and then got a divorce and then, and then navigated that world. He's with, he's with a 
partner now, but uh, a really brilliant man who's written a lot of books. But I, I remember asking Paul, I said, when did you first realize you were gay? And he was, he was like so suppressed that he wouldn't even let himself go there yeah. until he had done so much emotional work and then that came out later. So he was yeah. he, he discovered it late in life. It's different for everybody. Yeah. It really is. I, I always say there's there's not a right time or a right way. The thing is it's a journey that you should always be on of living as authentically as you can in every moment. So if you're committed to that, you'll figure things out. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. But like I I, I would say most of the people I've interviewed are were like you and that from their earliest puberty stages they were they had an attraction Mm -hmm. to the opposite sex never felt same sex same sex yeah did i yeah sorry i'll I'll get my terms confused you you correct me well i mean it's the same with anybody as like you know when someone says when did you know you gay was like well when did you know you were straight right you know i mean it's not any different and we all are on a journey of figuring out what turns us on what we're attracted to what we're you know Mm -hmm. and that changes throughout time throughout life but most people i would say have some clue early on from an early age yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it seems that way and then you're in this extraordinarily conservative uh movement this conservative we would call it fundamental baptist we we Bible wore that label baptist. proudly right yes in fact if you were a fighting fundamentalist that was even better right right <laughs> sin fearing god our yeah. god fearing sin hating you know <laughs> premillennial you had a whole string of words that yes. preachers would enjoy rattling off and and it was kind of like the more you were against the better a christian you were yeah and so what's interesting is I, I was not, I would have never identified with that, that branch of Baptist life. Mm-hmm. I, and like I grew up, my dad grew up in Wichita as an American Baptist, which was much more liberal. Oh yeah. And then we moved, when he moved to Kansas City, he, he, there weren't as many American Baptists, so he mm-hmm. ended up going to a Southern Baptist church. And my dad's 87, he's still alive, and um, he's, he's He's a wonderful guy, but I, I always tease him like you weren't a very good Southern Baptist. You know, he smoked cigars. You know, he'd cuss every now and then. You know, he dance. He loved to dance. You know, it's like because <laughs> even in my church, you know, you weren't supposed to smoke. You weren't yeah. supposed to dance. You weren't supposed to drink. You weren't supposed to. Was, you weren't supposed. You weren't, to supposed say, to, you weren't supposed. Yeah. To, you know. <laughs> don't don't. What was it? Don't drink. Don't dance. Don't chew. Don't go with the girls that do. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So there was, there were a lot of don'ts and a lot sure. of. Um, a lot of shame-based messages, mm-hmm. not just sexually, but definitely sexually shame-based messages. And uh, and so here you are um, realizing that your attraction is to men and you're in an environment where you're taught that that's evil, wrong, sinful. Yeah. And so one of the things I noticed is that all along the way, you kept hoping for a new day. Oh, definitely, yeah. That would change you. Yeah, it was. Uh, and you could maybe name some of those things. It was like one. Well, it, it was like as a kid, I'd say like teenager, you know, when I started having more of a sexual awakening. Um, I was, I remember um, thinking well, maybe if I, I remember being attracted to boys, feeling bad about that. And then I was like, well, maybe if I think about a girl as I masturbate. And then I was like, ooh, I don't, one, I felt even worse about that because that had really been pounded into my head as, you know, <laughs> premarital sex and girls, you don't lust after girls. So then I was like, and two, I just didn't find any pleasure in it. So then I went back to the boys and I was like, well, you know, hey, boys, rough house. You know, I made, I had all this justification in my head. And then it was, I wasn't allowed to date. And so I got all the way through going to, when I went to go to college, I thought, I told myself, okay, when you go to college, everything's going to be different because you're going to be in this 
Bible college, you're with all these young people who are also here to serve the Lord. And, you know, I had a bit of a utopian mindset about what that was going to be like. And I thought, you won't want to do these things. You won't think these things because you'll be in the right kind of place, you know. So then I got there. And then it was and, like, and well. And it was a Baptist, like, fundamental college, yes, right? Uh-huh, okay. Yes. It's the same kind of environment yes, that you uh-huh. grew up in. It yeah. was slightly less conservative than what I grew up in, but still very, very conservative by anybody's standards. And so then it was like, well, that, <laughs> you know, getting into a dorm with gang showers and stuff certainly did not uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> help. So then I'm like, well, I'll start dating. When I start dating, then I'll like my, my attractions will be geared to her. And then it was, you know, we didn't have sex. We didn't do any par- premarital sex or anything because that was a no-no. So then it was like, well, when we get married and I can have sex, then that will change everything. And then it was like, every, with every situation, nothing changed. Mm-hmm. But I always kept telling myself, well, then the next thing. And then it was like, well, when I have kids, I'm going to feel so responsible as a parent and all that. That will change me. And it was also when I get in ministry because I was going into ministry when I start working mm-hmm. at a church. And yeah. it just was like that constantly. And this, you know, you tell yourself that same lie over and over again, because it feels like the only option you have. And you're like, well, okay, well then that will change me. So that was, that was the circular path. Yeah. I was on. Yeah. What this table picks up vibrations Sorry. really bad. So just, I forgot to tell you that at the beginning. So, yeah. So, yeah. So you're, so you're always thinking like something will change me and I'll be mm-hmm. quote normal mm-hmm. right, sexually and my orientation yep. will change. I mean, you probably didn't even think of it that way. You just probably thought you would. Well, I mean, in those environments, um, any problem was a sin problem, right? Mm-hmm. So if, and if it's a sin problem, then that means, you know, God doesn't intend for me to live in sin and he's made a way for me to mm-hmm. escape from this temptation. Mm-hmm. So then it becomes something that I have to be able to overcome because Otherwise, I'm saying God made me that way, which wasn't supposed to be. Yeah. So you just work on overcoming. So it's like, pray enough, do all the right things. So it was a journey of doing as much right as I could. And I was a, a very committed Christian. Like, right. I really gave it my all. Right. And that comes through. And you're, I mean, you, you loved God. Yeah. You wanted to serve God with all your heart. You, you became a pastor. Yeah. You married. You have kids you're you're doing the you're 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 the example of a godly family godly I felt man, like it yeah godly you know you're raising kids to love jesus we were and, you know well respected and looked up to and you know but it it was frustrating because nothing ever changed not even one bit you know so then you, you st- after a while you start running out of ideas of what what what's next that I haven't already tried, right? And my last ditch effort was when, um, well, two of my my one before the last ditch, but was um, I decided to go plant a church. So we called that church planting, which was going somewhere, starting a church from scratch. Right. So I moved to the South Bend, Indiana area, and um, started a small church in Granger, Indiana. Yeah. So moving to a brand new area where I didn't know anybody. I thought, okay, Joel, this is it. You now have a clean slate. <laughs> were you being supported by your home church or the church that you were on staff A lot at? of churches, yeah. yeah. I had gone, my uh, family and I went around the country mm-hmm. and raised monthly right. support to yeah. sponsor us. I hear, I'm, I'm a church planner. I did yeah. the same, I raised yeah. my support, yeah. And um, so I started this church, but I mean, moving there, I was like, okay, Joel, this is it. This is gonna be your life's work, so. Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't use this language in my head at that time, but essentially I was saying, don't fuck it up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because <laughs> it, this is it. This is your last chance. Yeah. You're, you're moving here. Nobody knows you. You don't know anybody. You don't know cruising spots. You don't know anything you're like this is your opportunity Yeah, with a clean slate to do everything right. Right. That worked for about four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you're back to your patterns of, yeah. mm-hmm. of the. That also the, coincided with the internet becoming a household item. Yeah. Yeah. Which changed the way you <laughs> masturbated. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
everybody yeah, changed, changed everybody even <laughs> even even us you know every everybody's world it when brought it everything into the privacy yeah. of your own home yeah you know that's a, that's no matter what your orientation sexually it, changed, it made it a lot easier to hide yeah you know like back in the day you know you always heard yeah. stories about some young person finding their dad's playboy right. magazine somewhere you know yeah. but it was uh, the internet was, changed all of that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it was like it was magazines or uh, mm -hmm. prior to the internet it was magazines or porn shops mm -hmm. somewhere or something like that you know um so you so you one of your last ditch efforts it seems to me like was even beyond the church planning was exodus international yeah which is yeah. an ex i don't know how to term it ex -gay well type back ministry. in the day exodus international was the largest what was labeled ex-gay ministry mm -hmm. in the world um ex-gay ministry was a term that was being used then. Today, you hear it referred to as conversion therapy, reparative therapy, mm -hmm. lots of different things. And that movement has changed its name many times because every time it starts getting a bad reputation, they change the name again mm -hmm. and call it something else and then deny that they were ever doing that. So my ex-gay counselors would say, oh, we never, we would never do conversion therapy. Yeah. You know, but if you look at what they were doing, that's what it is. That was the goal. Yeah. So yeah. when I my, I had a kind of my come to Jesus moment um, of coming face to face with myself. Yeah. Um, was, <laughs> I don't know if you want me to go into that story. <laughs> you, you're welcome to, um, because I wanted to, I, 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 there's a couple of places that I, you know, in your story that are that just intersect my story and but yeah this is this is one of them that's so, interesting um cruising for those that don't know what cruising is yeah explain that is um f finding anonymous sexual encounters in parks restrooms public places mm -hmm. um and i really like to clarify that the way that came about was not because it was some kind of kink it wasn't, ooh, I get off by having sex in public. It's that it was the only safe place for someone who was closeted to go mm -hmm. and find some relief. Yeah. And so it started way back in the day before, um, you know, back in the many, many years ago, you know, mm -hmm. decades ago. I mean, who would have known? Yeah. You like, didn't, you yeah. didn't go to a, if you couldn't be seen in a gay bar or if there wasn't a gay bar, if you couldn't be seen in an adult bookstore or these kinds of places, well then gay men would usually find a park or some kind of place. And then that's mm -hmm. where they would cruise for sex. It was portrayed by the media as, um, like pedophilia. Like there was these men lurking in the bushes that were going to grab your children when they walk by. It's like, no, that's not at all what was happening. This was closeted gay men, mostly closeted. Yeah. Gay men. I'd say even mostly married. Yeah. Yeah. Going mostly out married. to find yeah. someone else that mm -hmm. I could hook up with. Right. So I, that was, of course, really uh, prevalent before the internet. Mm -hmm. um, with the internet, it became a little bit more like chat room hookups type mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, you have apps and everything else, yeah. which is nothing more than cruising on a digital level. Right, right. But um, so anyway, I did a lot of cruising because that was my only safe place to yeah. get, which I hated myself for it, you know, because yeah. I knew it was wrong and sinful and all of these kinds of things. And so, mm -hmm. but yet it was like an addiction because the stress made me want to find relief. The relief would bring guilt and shame and more stress, which then, you know, it's like this circle that you just go yeah. around and around and around him. So, um, but anyway, I had made an uh, arrangement with a guy that I met online um, in a chat room back in the day when chat rooms were mm -hmm. really popular. And we agreed to hook up. Um, so we were gonna meet, he lived kinda, we agreed to meet in a halfway point, which happened to be uh, the parking lot of a Kmart. <laughs> And so we had talked, you know, and when you, in those days, especially as someone's closet, I was very careful not to share any kind of personal information, fake name, you know, I didn't want anybody to know who it was or what I did. Yeah, you're a and pastor, a husband, yeah, yeah. and a father. <laughs> so I went to hook up with him in the parking lot and something really strange happened. I got into his van and took a look at him and I just had this overwhelming um, 
feeling message voice inside of me that just said, he's you. And I just looked at him and I was like, I felt this, like we're the same person, but I didn't know what it meant. Mm. You know? And I could tell that he kind of felt it too. There was just this like recognition, even though we'd never met. So we did the thing. And then afterwards we started letting our guard down as we were talking and started kind of like you tell me what you do i'll tell you what i do kind of thing come to find out there i am baptist pastor in this van with this guy and he was the methodist pastor right <laughs> married yes also married kids, kids yeah pastoring yeah, yeah. Yep. and so in that moment both of us kind of took a look at each other and i realized oh that's what it was i was looking in the mirror at myself yeah. when i looked at him and so we both were like this is not who we want to be this is not good for us from a career perspective, from a family perspective, from a personal perspective. So let's help each other get help. So mm -hmm. he decided to go see a counselor somewhere and I called Exodus International. Okay. Um, I think I, yeah, I messaged what, This them. was like 2000 maybe or something like Some, that? Around uh, mm -hmm. sometime, yeah. maybe 2001 or two. Yeah. And I called Exodus International and, and let me just interject um, because so I started my church in 1990 mm -hmm. and we were meeting in a, in a middle school during the nineties. And, and I, I would have men, you know, come to me who were in your situation, mm -hmm. who sometimes would confess everything you just described to me for the first time. And they'd be, you know, just crying cause they mm -hmm. had never shared it sometimes with anybody yeah. married, you know, in, yeah. in my church. And of course, you know, I went to seminary in 79, 80, 81, 82, 83, and I mean, I'm sorry, college in, in the early 80s, mm -hmm. seminary in the mid 80s. We never talked once about any of this stuff. And then here in the 90s, I'm having these these guys come and usually guys coming and confessing this stuff to me. And I didn't know what to do. And I was glad they were in my church. I, I was glad they were there. I would express my love and pray for them. And then I would send them to something that was similar to yeah. Exodus International, which was called uh, Living Waters at mm -hmm. the time. May, may have even been associated with Exodus International. Probably, Exodus was, um, was more of an umbrella organization mm -hmm. that just connected everybody that was doing anything mm -hmm. uh, to help people not be gay. Right. And so it was more of a resource list, but they did have like annual conventions and yeah. speakers and stuff, but it was more about we approve these people as a place for you to go and get help. Get help. Yeah. And the help was to try to get you to not be gay. Yeah, and or, I mean, the truth, I mean, it's not based in any kind of science or anything, any psychological science or anything. Yeah. So basically, if you said, bang your head against that bookcase 12 times and it'll make you straight, who am I to say that that's not accurate? So everybody did their own thing name everywhere you went mm -hmm. if you watch like the movie boy erased um with um nicole kidman and russell crowe and i forget the young man who played but it's a I true story seen that about one. a young man going through conversion therapy at, i think at living waters honestly. boy erased yeah okay and like in that movie when i watched it <clears throat> it was really hard for me to watch honestly I didn't think it would be, but it did really impact me. But there were things that took place in their therapies that I'm like, well, that didn't happen. But what was 100% accurate was the attitudes and the language that was used. So I'm like, oh, I totally relate to the attitudes and the language. That's 100% mm -hmm. accurate. I mm -hmm. just didn't have somebody banging a Bible on my back, you yeah. know? Yeah. And you, and you went through it and got into therapy and mm -hmm. with all your heart. Oh yeah, because it was the, my last chance. You, you wanted to pray the gay away. You yeah. spent your life trying to pray the gay away. I knew this was it. If this yeah. didn't work, yeah. then there was yeah. no answer. <clears throat> so at the when you finally, what brought you, you think, to finally just give up on that and accept, accept who you were? Almost three years. Okay. I felt like I was the poster boy of ex-gay therapy. You know, I mm -hmm. read the books, I went to conferences, I was in individual therapy, I was in group therapy. I was just trying to do everything. Everything you could everything do. Everything I could. Because I change. knew that that was, yeah. you know, I had to. 
that was my own i mean this is what this therapy is all about so mm-hmm. if i can't make this work then nothing yeah. works so um i was doing all of that for almost three years and I uh, got to the point where I was like feeling really discouraged about it yeah. because I'm like, I, nothing's really happening. Like, I don't feel that I'm any closer to being straight. Or if I was, I, I usually illustrate this visually. I'd be like, okay, so if this is all gay and this is all straight, you know, <laughs> so this is where I need to be, right? And after almost three years, I looked at my progress. It was like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like you'd inched, yeah, in, away from gayness, maybe a centimeter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and so I was like really discouraged about that. Just thinking, this has got to get better. If it's not, I can't keep living like this. And your self hatred is probably just continuing yes. to ratchet. And up, I right? was, um, I was. Were you was starting awful. to get suicidal? Yeah, during that time, um, it was very, very dark. I mean, I just. Oh. I lost a lot of hope, which I'd always had. And during that time, I began to just feel like there is none. And I didn't want to kill myself, but I wanted somebody else to. Mm. So I was like, I didn't, I didn't really want to. I can relate to that for a different set of reasons. Yeah. yeah. I would be like, I would fantasize about like, maybe I'll get hit by a car and die. Mm -hmm. Or maybe this will happen. Yeah. And be like, that would be fine with me. As long as I'm dead, mm-hmm. I don't want to live through it, right. you know? So yeah, I, I it felt, yeah. I felt terrible. So it was, it was those, after the three years, I finally, I had been to a counselor in Indianapolis for a while. And then he referred me to a counselor closer to me, but the counselor in Indianapolis was kind of the director of the state of Indiana for Ixtus International. So I'm like, well, he's like high up in this organization, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he ought to have a huge database of people, mm-hmm. right? Success stories and all. Mm-hmm. So I emailed him and I was like, you know, hey, I'm getting really discouraged here. I don't feel like I'm making any kind of real progress. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so I wondered if you could connect me to some guys just like myself, not the, not the national speakers that I've heard, but like just some real guys, down to earth mm-hmm. guys who have been where I have been, have moved on and feel and would be willing to say, Oh, Joel, you know, bless your heart, hang in there. It's going to be so much better. I remember when I was where I just needed something. I needed some real people. And he emailed me back and told me he couldn't do that. And I said, well, why not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he said, well, everybody kind of falls in one of two categories. One, this was a part of their life. Nobody ever knew about it. They got help in secret they've moved on that's a closed chapter don't talk about it because nobody should know it was ever a thing or they've came in they got help they've moved on but they're afraid if they were to talk to you that they would fall right back into it and so i literally that day he had wrote this in an email i wish i still had it but i don't and um I had printed it off. My ex-wife and I had separated at the time, and I was going to the house, I think, to pick up the kids. And I got there early, and the kids weren't home from school yet, and I was sitting out in the front yard on a stump or something. And I pulled that email, and I read it again. I was just like, then I'm done. Mm. If those are my options, Mm. I'm going to spend the rest of my life living in fear that someone would find out or shame or fear that I'll fall back into it or shame that somebody might find out. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I wadded up that paper. I threw it down and I like, was like, I'm done. I am done. And I had a little conversation with God at that, on that day and just was like, Hey, uh, if you are who everybody says you are, then you know what's going on. You've been with me this whole time. You know how hard I've tried. Mm-hmm. You know me better than I know myself. You love me more than anybody else. So on and so forth. I just kind of repeated all of the things I've heard about God. Yeah. And then I was like, and you also know that I have tried it your way. What I was told was your way for a very long time mm-hmm. now, all of my life. Yeah. So I am just letting you know, God, that from here on out, I am living as a gay man. I don't really know what that means, mm-hmm. but I am not going back the where where I was from. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, if you have a problem with it, you let me know. 
<laughs> I'll be listening. <laughs> wow. Yeah, man. I remember having that conversation though with God. Like, yeah. I, and it was hard, but I was like, all right, we're just mm. going to lay it all out there. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's interesting because in, in the, in the Exodus international world, <clears throat> there's an assumption that, you know, God didn't make you gay. Right. So, so there's gotta be some other reason yeah. for your gayness and they had a pretty limited set of yeah and things. that's still like, being used as criteria even to this day by many organizations yeah. which is oh did you have an overbearing mother yeah you're did really, you have an absentee or emotionally absent father yeah was there sexual abuse right that's kind of it yeah those three yeah has to be one of those three things because yeah. god didn't make you that way right something caused right it. right so um yeah so a couple of things that uh, I found interesting, um, like the, in your book, you mentioned like when you were in therapy and you, and you mentioned that, you know, not all of the things that happened yeah. in your therapy were, were negative. Right. But um, one of the things that struck me that I related to so much is because when I went through my meltdown and then I've been in therapy and had to reexamine my whole Actually, I've had to look relook at my what I would call now shame based sexual ethics. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I haven't I have one question before I get to shame based sexual ethics. But but in your book, which everybody godly but gay, um, want to encourage you to check it out. Uh, when, the way we grew up, we we weren't really allowed to have feelings. No, right? In our it was judgment. And sometimes in our family context, sometimes in our religious context. Mm -hmm. And you said feelings I had been taught were not to be trusted. It's in your book, uh, page 42, all right? Anger was sinful. Sadness was discontentment with God. Happiness was self-serving and fleeting at best. Resentment was a lack of forgiveness. Confusion was the lack of seeking and knowing God. Anxiety was the result of not accepting the peace of God. And we could go on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then you're like, so basically, you can't be human. No, you can't. Right? <laughs> I mean, that was you know? that was what happened in my very first session of ex-gay therapy. This is what was good in the sense that I needed someone to ask me these questions. But, you know, he'd say, well, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. And I would mm -hmm. tell some story. And then he was like, well, how did you feel about that? And I would say, I don't know. How should I feel about it? And he'd be like, well, there's no should. Just like, what did you feel? And I'm like. I don't know. Should I, should I be angry about that? Yeah. You know, I, I was so disconnected to feelings that I had, I needed someone to tell me how to feel and what was allowed to feel mm. and so on and so forth. I didn't know yeah. that you could just have feelings. Yeah. And I felt like I was in a battle with my negative feelings all the time and I had plenty of them, you know? Yeah. And so my, my job was to suppress them, fight them, mm -hmm. not give in to them. And, and then when it all fell apart and I'm just shattered and all I have is like shitty feelings, you know, and then, you know, and then I started trying to do therapy and the feeling wheel and, yep. all, you know, I started reading about emotional intelligence, literally about my own, you know, and I started doing mindfulness meditation, which is a, a lot about, you know, checking into your body, yep. your emotions, your thoughts, trying to become an observer, you know, and so I've had to go through a, a whole, you know, education process of well, what are these feelings and how do I label them? And what is this feeling? What is it? And where does it come from? Well, I'm not, just giving yourself that permission to feel to permission. Feel. There's a good book, permission to feel Mark Brackett yeah. and he and Brene Brown are trying to actually get okay. emotional yeah. education into public schools at very young ages now because of the, the lack of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then if you're, you're thrown into a religious context, which it's all sinful. Yeah. It's like, well, and that's just the emotions are sinful. That's, you know? that's like hard part are the really challenging thing about throwing, mixing in religion with all of these things, whether whatever you mix it into. Mm -hmm. And because when you attach godly values, all that kind of stuff to things that really messes with people. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Because it becomes a, 
well, it becomes a judgment call on everything. Yeah. And I grew up feeling that every, there was an yeah. answer for everything. Right. And a right one. Yes. And everything <laughs> was either black or white and there was no gray. Yeah. And yeah. when I finally started, you know, coming out and coming to terms with, I realized the world is mostly gray. Mm-hmm. It's not black and white. Right. Yeah. My, my two favorite words are paradox and mystery these days. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's okay. I, I, I had to come to terms with this phrase, but it helped me a lot. And that was, it's okay not to know. Yeah. Unknowing. Yeah. Cer- uncertainty. It's like, it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. That's been, that's, I've had to embrace those things too. Yeah. And, but it's, it's not been easy for me. I, no, it's hard. <laughs> I've been a theologian my whole life and taught the you Bible. Come my from whole absolutes. Life, you know? yeah. So, yeah. Um, so sexual ethics. So I've, I've come to the conclusion that I was rooted and based and raised, you know, in a religious environment uh, that was what I would call now shame-based sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I had to put it in a really tight package, my sexual ethics was, so God made sex. And if you're in a heterosexual marriage, you can do it and enjoy it. But if you're not in a heterosexual marriage, you can't do it. And you can't think about it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty standard. And then I tried to, I realized that like pretty much no, as a pastor, I'm thinking, but that I had, I had embraced that for myself even. Mm-hmm. And then as a pastor, if I ever taught on sexuality, which I did sometimes, I would be, and be trying to, I'd be, I realized like nobody lives up to this, including myself. Including so how, the people in the Bible. <laughs> including people in the Bible. So then how do I, how do I talk about sexual ethics in a way that is grace-based but now i have come to the conclusion that you it's it's impossible even just to state that kind of standard makes everybody a failure and i think worse it it causes people to not embrace their true humanity which includes sexuality so i now i've tried to rethink <laughs> my sexual ethics from like what i would might call a grace-based sexual ethic that embraces our humanity and our sexuality. And I've come up with some thoughts on that, but I'm curious where, where do you, if there's you thought a, about just sexual ethics today. There's do, a really good book that I would highly recommend called The Ethical Slut. Okay. So good. It'll, it, it will kind of blow your mind in that sense. Al. Okay. And I don't, in my mind, um, when two people are in agreement, Mutual consent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. And they're adults. End of story. Right. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, do you think? Age of consent, yes. mutual consent. And kind of idea. If, if we all were, were raised to just accept who we are, then how different the world would be. Because the problems arise, and it's usually, honestly, all of the rules, all of the obstacles that are put up are usually religious-based. Mm-hmm. And if you took that away... Mm-hmm. I'll give you a personal example. So mm-hmm. I was a, I was addicted to cruising. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I could not go anywhere with a, I could walk, I could go to a brand new town and within 15 minutes I could tell you where the cruising spots were. Yeah. Yeah. I knew how to look for it. My eyes were tuned for it. I knew the behavior, so on and so forth. And I would cruise, 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 cruise. And then when the internet came along, oh wow, I could hook up several times a day if I wanted to, mm-hmm. you know? So I was so like into that mm-hmm. and that sexual behavior, which I wasn't real proud of, but it was just, it was a drive. Right. And right. when I came out <laughs> and I said, okay, I'm gonna live as a gay man. And I realized now I can, I can have all the sex I want with anybody I want. It was amazing though, once I gave myself permission to do that, yeah. that so much just kind of melted off of me. That drive <laughs> of that like sex, 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 yeah. sex, just kind of melted away. And I started yeah. going, oh, well now that I can, yeah. I can actually make choices. I don't have to just take any opportunity that yeah. I can snatch up. It's like, I can make choices and I think if we translate that in the real world and instead of saying no 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 here are all your parameters you got to live yeah. within these if we said what do you want to do yeah and how are you going to manage this right how does this fit into your life and your life plan and the life the people you love and care yeah. about 
then make choices yeah. that are going to be good for you. And I think um, we would find a balance. I think that we don't see today. Yeah, and I, I think you know I've thought about like raising. If I ever had kids, mm -hmm. how would I raise them in a grace-based, you know, human-affirming sexuality? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'd want to do, right? Is raise my kids that way, right? And um, so that's how I've tried to come at a, a sort of a new sexual ethic. And of course, love. I think you know is you know mutual consent treating people with human dignity right. respect, respect yeah. um th there's a heart f maybe for you know i mean i'm not saying that there can't be a uh i mean just two people enjoying sex uh -huh. you know um but at the same time that there's not there's not a part of it that is demeaning somebody or taking no. you know and we are we are humans with sexual desires we are erotic by nature mm -hmm. we are attracted to things and it's it's the barriers to it it makes that creates the mystique yeah and the fantasy yeah. and then but once you kind of start removing those people People, generally speaking, I know some people wouldn't agree with this, but I think people know what's best for them. Yeah. And when you trust them to make good choices, doesn't mean people will always make good choices. Right. They don't. We know this about yeah. human beings. But generally speaking, it's it's kind of like um, European television and movies versus American television and movies. Here, we get so excited because whatever the new show is, there's a little bit of nudity in it. Mm -hmm. And it's very sexual. It's, you know, you'll see screenshots, you know, whereas in Europe, nudity is just a part of the storyline and it's not sexualized. Even beaches are topless right. and, and kids and grow up around that. We and, sexualize right. it. And then that just creates inordinate, in my mind, yeah. desires, so to speak. You know? I remember there was a book came out when I was pastoring called Every Man's Battle. Yeah, I remember that book. And I, I read it and it was like, it was trying to teach guys to wake up every morning and try to live their whole day without any sexual stimulus whatsoever. Like, like if, if there's a, if there's a cleavage on a TV, you better get rid of your TV uh -huh. or if there's cleavage in a magazine, better get rid of it. Or if there's, and you're, and I got, I was reading, I was going, you know, like, I don't want to spend my whole day thinking about, you know, what I don't like, what I'm trying not to do. And then that's my focus all day long is not thinking lustful thoughts. Well, then it just throws me into the, that's yes. what I'm thinking about all that's day long. That's what I was experiencing. Like, if I see a beautiful woman, I want to recognize the beauty. Mm -hmm. If I see something, you know, hot, I want to say, oh, wow, that's hot. I mean, I, I didn't want to live my life in this negative framework of like trying to avoid every kind of sexual yeah. stimulus i and never I thought about sex more than when i was in xk therapy <laughs> right. trying not to think exactly. about sex <laughs> exactly and, and you read the stats on young men how often they think about sex every day like it's it's like every few seconds or something i mean it's like they well, have a sexual yeah. thought and maybe some women do too but I certainly know a lot of men do. And, oh, women do too. And yeah. And, and I, so, I remember thinking, uh, like my ex therapy was a lot of uh, like behavior modification. So mm -hmm. they'd be like, you know, avoid driving by this place, yeah. avoid the places <laughs> that are tempting. Yeah. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like every place is <laughs> There's not a place that's not tempting. Like I literally one day pulled up to a stoplight, looked over at the guy in the car next to me. He looked at me. We followed each other to a restroom and had sex. Oh God. You know, so I'm like, how do I avoid that? You know, like put me in a concrete room with no windows, you know, I don't know. Hungry eyes, that's a song, right? Yes, exactly. You know, but I'm like, it was just so stupid to think about trying to control that because again, all you're doing is you're thinking about it even more. It's yeah. like saying, oh, I'm not gonna think about pie, no pie today. Yeah. I'm not gonna think about pie, not apple, not cherry, not peach, and what are we doing? We're all thinking about pie now. Yeah. You know? And like if there is a God who created us and he put that in us, and then we're gonna live our whole life feeling shameful about it. You know, it's craziness, right? Yeah. So so I'm just thinking we've gotta teach our kids how to live, how to affirm their their sexual desires in a healthy way. That's yeah. that's that's like, hey, this is part of being human. And 
love yourself, self-compassion, mm-hmm. openness, curiosity. Yeah. I mean, not, it's, not like trying to battle your humanity, your whole stinking life in the same way that like, you know, you take your kids to uh, the Grand Canyon. You want them to enjoy seeing the Grand Canyon. You're going to say, now be careful, right? You can go up to the edge, but yeah. stay behind the fence. You know, yeah. what are you doing? You're training them that if you're not careful, you could fall yeah. off and die. Right. So in the same way that you train it, but you don't say we're not going to the Grand Canyon because you could fall off and right. die. You right. know, you go and right. you say, here are the parameters. There's some healthy boundaries. Yeah. yeah. And you figure out what's going to be best for right. you. Do you want to die? Well, probably not. Then you probably should yeah. stay away from the edge. <laughs> yeah. So one, I'm going to write a memoir one of these days and one of my chapters is going to be on sexual ethics. And I've yeah. just been thinking through you know, You'll enjoy the sex, uh, the uh, ethical slut. It's a, yeah. Okay, it's a I'll check that out. Book. I had another one um, recommended to me by a black gay Presbyterian pastor, and I looked it up, and it it was actually really good too. I forget, I'm blanking on the name of it now, but any rate, uh, I had another a uh, couple of thoughts here before we run out of time. Um, the I when I read the story of your dad. Um, after your mo- mother had uh-huh. died, your dad's living alone, uh-huh. and you're coming to your mother's funeral. Is that what it was, or you're coming? The story was actually my mother was dying, and she okay. was in a nursing home, and Dad was um, living at the house by himself, yeah. and she was in the nursing home. But her days were very numbered yeah. at that point in time. And by the way, I mean I don't want you to dive into this, but your your family largely rejected you mm-hmm. once you came out. Yes including your siblings and your yeah. mom and dad mm-hmm. and, and your dad had hardly talked to you about this, yeah. but at the end of his life, when your mother's in, in this nursing home type facility, yeah. you and your husband come to visit your mom Yeah, and you were nervous it, as heck about yeah, it. Yeah. That, that was, you know, Hey, mom's dying. We should probably go see her. So I, I'll let you tell it. But when you told me what your dad did in the, when I was reading the book, I started crying. Yeah. Literally, I'm got tears running down my yeah. face because you said it was the kindest thing your dad ever did. Yeah, it was you. truly a gift. And I thought about love is really what it's—it's it's all about love, you know. And, and yeah. maybe you want to just share that what you're. Well, I mean, I think just such my dad. Powerful. My dad was so. Oh, my parents were so conservative and had spent their lives stripping away anything that could have brought them joy or pleasure because to get closer to God. And I think my dad, my dad was like, they were okay not having a relationship with me because it was some kind of separation. You know, it was like, well, he's sinning. He's not getting, you know, so we can't have a relationship. With and I think as my mom was passing, my dad started to think well here i am we're both he and mom both were at the end of their lives really because he died just a few months after my mom i think he had a realization that he had alienated people that could have loved him Mm. and here at the end of his life i think maybe he was wondering if it had all been worth it really Mm -hmm. and so um when my husband and i if you want me to tell the story i can but I, I would love for you to. All right. Yeah. I might get teary as well because this still makes me teary. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, David, we're going to go to Effingham. We're going to visit mom. And so we booked a hotel. I called dad and said, hey, we're coming down. Um, and I'm bringing my partner, David. We weren't married at the time, but we were together. And I said, I'm bringing my partner, David. We're coming down to visit mom because I know she's not doing well. And so he was like, okay. So on the way down, I kept telling David, I'm like, I was warning him of everything that was going to take place. Dad will confront us. Dad's going to have lots to say. He's going to try to, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know. So about a few minutes outside of Effingham, my dad called me and he was like, can you stop by the house before you you go? And I was like, yeah, we'll do that. So we stopped by the house and David and I, is the first time he'd ever met David, I knew that he probably knew David existed because my siblings all knew, even though they don't have a relationship with me, and I'm sure the talk of the family had been that Joel is now dating someone. And um, we came in, and my dad was very gracious. He greeted David and 
we sat down in the living room and talked and he did like anybody would do you know he got to know david he asked him questions about where he worked and we sat and chatted and everything and i kept sitting there thinking what is going on here this is not like something's when's the shoe going to drop dad's gonna because i knew my dad to be very confrontational and so finally about an hour hour and a half in i was like well dad we're gonna head to the hotel now and we'll meet up in the morning for breakfast and go see mom and he looked and he said well you know that sofa bed sofa pulls out into a bed you're well, well welcome to stay here tonight and it felt like time froze in that moment i was just kind of like wait did my dad just say it was okay for me to sleep at his house in the same bed with my partner i just was like it almost didn't compute i'm like does he he does understand that we're together right <laughs> you know like all of this kind of stuff so i just said well you know dad thank you but we've already booked a hotel so we're gonna go there and david and i just walked out like and both of us like what just happened i couldn't believe it and um then the next day after we saw mom and before we left he we were at his house i were at the nursing home i believe at that time and he was like you're welcome anytime in my home wow and i think that my dad realized he had sacrificed a relationship for his idea of what it meant to be a godly man mm. and i think he was regretting it and it felt like such a gift for him to offer those things mm. i felt like i got the closure that i needed i'm sad that it had to happen just a few months before he passed because we never really got to build upon that mm -hmm. but i think we could have yeah had he lived i yeah. think we might have actually had a relationship but it was a beautiful gift and a beautiful moment in life for both I, david and i i thank you for sharing that story that's beautiful you you a line that you brought up about your experience with the church maybe this was in your letter your your letter to the church yeah. which i thought i would i encourage every pastor in america to read your letter to the church i'd re, i'd encourage them to read your book but then focusing on that letter to the church because gosh if we if if we could hear that yeah and then reorient ourselves to actually loving people my, my new favorite verse you know how you know how we memorize yeah. verses all uh -huh. the time i've only memorized one verse in the last three years of my of my meltdown but it's god is love those who live in love live in god and god lives in them yeah so if there's a god <laughs> you know which i've I've felt like an atheist at times in my in yeah. this last mm -hmm. few years of my life, but that, I mean that's emotionally how I felt like even God, you know, it's just right. that's right. this has been this emotional thing, but you know, love to me is everything. There's nothing else in this world to to live for. Love, beauty, creativity, mm -hmm. you know, forgiveness. I don't want to be a bitter, resentful person. Like, but you had this phrase about. You felt like you had had a lot of people who were hating me with the love of Christ. Yeah. And I thought, God, you know, because in a lot of ways, that little love, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. It's, it's really kind of like hating, hating people with the love of Christ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's really not love in it. No, it's not at all. It's really not. That's my, my siblings. I always say they hate me with the love of Christ. <laughs> they've actually said that no i say that yeah That's, okay that is the best way to like describe it like they think they're being loving but i agree i get it yeah. like when, when you judge people harshly somehow that's you're being true to the truth right and that's the most loving thing you can do is be true right. to the truth mm -hmm. so it's even like if it smashes life. somebody to death and crushes yeah. them mm -hmm. and you that's reject exactly them at their very is. core of who they are you're loving them it's the all truth. out of love though. yeah right mm -hmm. and you're just like holy crap it's uh, it's rejecting people yeah. at the core of who it they is. are i man i wish i had a little more time um i i've had a heart i've had a challenging time 
having conversations with a few of my friends who think that their battle with lust, like a heterosexual guy, mm-hmm. it's battle with lust. And, you know, he has to resist his lust, you know. And and that, so, like, if you have a gay orientation, well, you should have just battled your lust and been faithful to your wife and your kids. And mm-hmm. it's the same, like, they want to put it in the same thing. And I, I've tried to come up with analogies to help help people who are in that framework. I can't, I can't get through to I'm having a hard time with that. Like, how do I, how do I help people? Because I've listened to enough stories now to get how core and central our sexual identity is, and even who we want, who we're oriented to love and lust over. You know, yeah. it's a part of who we are. I well, wanna, that the problem with that is that it reduces, um, it reduces us to sex. Being gay is not about. Is not limited to who you have sex with, who right. you lost after. So if it's like, in that sense, yeah, I mean, I could be lusting after that chair over there, you know. I mm-hmm. mean, but that's that's not what it is, mm-hmm. you know. It it that reduces everything to just sex, and a lot of especially religious people want to make being gay out. They, they care about who you have sex with. They're so concerned about that. There are certain um, conversion therapy type groups that say it's okay to be gay, just don't act on it. Yeah, I've, yeah. I ran into that all the time. You know, and I'm like, you know, you could be, being gay is not about who you have sex with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much more than that. It's mm-hmm. your core identity. Mm-hmm. This is why we have pride flags. It's not mm-hmm. because we want to say, hey, look at me, I have sex with men. It's saying, I am a homosexual, I am trans, I am bi, I am lesbian, and that is the core of who I am. Whether I ever have sex with anybody or not, Mm -hmm. I could be completely Mm -hmm. celibate and still be gay. Yeah, right. So don't reduce me down to who I have sex with. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the science is coming on board with this. Oh yeah. Pretty clearly, you know, that, that you know, I, I've been listening to some interesting ones. That even it's it's not it's even more complicated than just the chromosomes, right? Yeah, yeah. So you you've got. I mean, I have three children, and at least two of them identify as queer. So I don't know. You know, I can't say that's scientific, but it sure it beats the odds, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it does. It does. Um, yeah. So it's. It, anyway, I, I think it's something, you know, and, you know, it's, it, it oh, honestly, I, I don't try to change anybody's mind yeah. because if they're not willing, if they're not seeking to understand, there is no changing. Yeah. So I just let people go. I'm like, yeah, it's, we're not even going to have that conversation because it's not worth it. Yeah. Now, if they're saying, help me understand this, yes. that's different. That's different. Right? But if it's. Well, what about this? Yeah. And what about this? You yeah. know, that's that's just an yeah, argument. Right, right. Well, I still have hope for uh, some some of my huge f- people that have loved me through the years and, you know, friends and in the evangelical world. You know, you, you can't imagine how many thousands and thousands of people I love and friends and family who are in that, you know, in the evangelical world. And yeah. I, I've been a part of sort of a you know my my professors would have called me a british evangelical which to them was a progressive evangelical which you know i was fine with that but i i think i've listened to so many stories where there's where the churches inflicted so much harm yeah and i i i would feel like i did you know i would have to own up to uh, being a part of that at, at certain times even though it wasn't my heart my heart was always to love people but i didn't know i didn't understand everything and i've listened to enough stories now to realize that um affirming people for who they are at the core of their being is a part of how i think jesus wants us to love you know or it, and we don't even have to throw jesus into it it's just part of how how as frank schaefer would say you know the survival of the friendliest and he would put it even into you know, he's really looking at the evolutionary track of love yeah. in relationships and how that's really the key to evolution is love and, yeah. and, and friendship, you know? I've, I really noticed when I 
was coming out of the church and all. And I started hanging out with people that had like no religious background. Like mm -hmm. My husband grew up irreligious. Okay. It was never part of really anything. Isn't it refreshing sometimes to meet people I that have way? found the most balanced, <laughs> wonderful people are the people that have the least amount of religion right, in their exactly. background. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, even you know, they're just interested. They're curious. And they're like, tell me more. And yeah, even as a pastor, I, that's who I enjoyed actually hanging out with. Even yeah. when I was pastoring, you know, it was that, that crowd, you know, I, I just I really started picking up on that. I was like, these people are amazing. Like, there's just no judgment. There's no hang-ups they're just curious tell me more they yeah. like to learn yeah. and i'm like and i started realizing all of these people grew up yeah. really with no real religious particular religious background yeah well my my encouragement would be to you know even even if in your mind you're listening to this you're like i don't know man doesn't the bible say or this or that or the other just get to know hear some stories read your book and maybe Recommend a couple of quick movies for people that you think are really help open up the heart of the matter. Um, Boy Erased would be okay. one. Boy Erased. Um, there's um, this is a document. If you want to learn about ex, ex gay conversion therapy, there's another documentary, um, Pray Away, okay. which is good. But there's a lot of even just dramatic stories, yeah. you know, um, about people and their relationships. I think to go circle way back. And that is when we, when I was in the church, I realized now why I was hearing stuff about gays. It was always out on the West Coast. It was always this picture painted of <laughs> out there, those people, or New York City. San Francisco. Yeah, and, and I realized, oh, well that's because Stonewall had just happened if not that much earlier. So the gay rights movement was coming to the forefront. Uh -huh. And, the church did well as long as it was always this picture of these people out there that we that was the mm -hmm. only addressing of it i ever heard mm. and it was this us against them mentality yeah and i am a firm believer in our stories and telling our stories because you can't one of the reasons things are changing in our society right now is because it's no longer those people out there. It's right. my uncle, right. my aunt, my school, my kid's yep. teacher, yep. my whatever. And, and it's suddenly, oh, I really like this person and they happen to be different than me. Right. So what do I do with that? Do I just have to, have to start disliking them now? Right. And so, and then hearing the stories, and that's what I tell, I, I don't get into theological debates with churches and stuff, but if somebody wants me to come and speak, and I have spoken in some somewhat conservative circles, and I'm always like, look, all I want you to do is just listen to my story. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you my story. And when I'm done, I ask them, so now that you've heard all of this, everything that I've done, tried, what did I do wrong? What was I missing? Was it, I just didn't pray one more prayer enough. Mm. I didn't try just a little bit harder. Like, really, is that what you're going to say? Because as you can see, I did it all. So please tell me, what did I miss? Yeah, yeah. Why didn't it work? <laughs> you know, and that's, that's where I want people to just stop and listen to a story as a human being. Yes. And realize that everybody's journey is different. And in a sense, it makes no difference whatsoever what's going on in my world, in my life. My rights, my existence should not threaten yours. Yeah. And it doesn't. Well, I want to, we've run out of time, but mm -hmm. how do people find you? And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the courageous yeah, I just thank you for being courageous. Absolutely. I, I appreciate it. And I, uh, man, I love you. Yeah, and I appreciate, appreciate you. That. Uh, I want to read one paragraph from your book at uh -huh. the end, because I love the way you talked about how we never know how we influence other people. Mm -hmm. And you, you left, that was a beautiful thing of how we're interconnected and how much we influence. If we can just influence people with love, and remember that the biggest thing we leave with them is how we make people feel. Yep. I thought that was really mm -hmm. good. You say all the world's a stage, we each have a role, surrounding us are a cast of characters 
who need us more than even they realize. Before you make your moves and speak your lines, remember they may not remember what you said or did, but they will remember how you made them feel. Yeah, so true. That's pretty good. I'm glad I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get this book. <laughs> you can get it at joelspeaksout.com. It is available on Amazon as well, although I I make more money off if you order it from my website, but I won't be upset if you however you get it. But joelspeaksout.com is where you can order that as well as some other merchandise that I have there and connect with me. Be happy to hear from you. All right. Thanks so much for being on spirituality adventures thanks for sharing your story everybody thanks for tuning in to spirituality adventures and we will see you next time this concludes today's episode thanks for tuning in and listening remember if you're watching on youtube subscribe to my youtube channel remember to like share or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using and then Go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.